Whitehead drives to the hole, hangs, and what? Isaiah Whitehead ties it up at 67. Outlet pass, Archidiakono, front court, slips, fires, and that's it. The Seton Hall Pirates defeat Villanova. 69-67, and for the first time in 23 years, the Big East Tournament Champion. For the latest in Seton Hall basketball and Seton Hall athletics, this is Courtside Pirates with Chris Pazes. Miles Powell gives Seton Hall the lead with 1.1 second to go. What a shot by Miles Powell. Thompson shows it. Kale steps back, lets it fly. Miles Kale, 84-83. And Seton Hall knocks off the number nine team in the nation. 84-83. What a win for the Pirates. This weekly podcast will recap every men's basketball game throughout the Pirates season. From Trenton. What Trenton makes, the world takes. With special guests along the way, Courtside Pirates will dive into the Pirates season after every game, giving you my thoughts and opinions as Seton Hall looks to return to the NCAA tournament. McKnight will inbound. Pow! They throw it up the mama! This is Courtside Pirates with Chris Pazes. It is Big East Tournament Week. Welcome and thank you for joining. My name is Chris Pazes, the host of Courtside Pirates. I am so excited to be joined today by J.P. Pelsman of Pirate Crew at cnhall.rivals.com to discuss the final week of the regular season and preview the Big East Tournament at Madison Square Garden. I will also recap a memorable run for the Seton Hall women's basketball team in this interview in their own respective Big East tournament, which really, what a turnaround for this team. What a turnaround of a season for both programs as they suffered so much adversity in the middle part of this season. And we will discuss all of this and more on this episode of Courtside Pirates as the season is heating right up. But it's also coming quickly to an end. It's crazy to think another season of Courtside Pirates is coming soon to a close, but excited to be with you today as we preview the Big East Tournament. I would also love to hear from you. Follow me on Twitter at Pazis, that is at P-A-I-Z-I-S, and reach out with any questions you have as they could be answered on the upcoming show. Also, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please consider leaving a review for the show by scrolling down on the podcast page. Joining me for the first time on Courtside Pirates is a man who knows Seen Hall Pirates very well, and you certainly know him as well. J.P. Pelsman has over three decades covering sports in our area, including the Seen Hall Pirates. He is currently a contributor at Forbes.com and on Pirate Crew. It is my absolute pleasure to welcome J.P. Pelsman today to discuss the latest in Pirates basketball as they prepare for the first round of the Big East Tournament this Wednesday. The Pirates will come in as the number six seed versus Georgetown. J.P. Pelsman, welcome to Courtside Pirates. Thank you so much, Chris. Great to be here. 
You know, JP, just before we even get into the actual pirate team, I want to kind of discuss about your background right now with pirate crew, because I think the work you do on pirate crew and it's on scene halls.rivals.com. It's, it's just great. There's a lot of great content there for pirates fans that a lot of times people might not even know exist. And I would love to hear from your perspective, what that relationship's been like from you. Well, it's really been good. I mean, I work with, uh, with the man people know on the board is whole Dan and he, Dan is great. He's really kind of given me a free hand to do, do what I want. And what we do is every game, uh, I tend to write two stories. One is kind of a, 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 a game story, but really kind of just look at the game from a different perspective, like what the key moments were, the key turning points, the, the key quotes from uh, Kevin Wood and the players. But then I do this thing. I think, I think people would like, and I, I know people do like, and I've gotten good feedback. It's called the, the takeaways, or you can call it whatever you like, observations, thoughts. And I kind of try to look back and I look ahead. And it's just trying to, trying to just give people my insights into what's going on. Uh, I know that's become a big thing these days. But let's face it. Everyone sees the games, Chris. They know what happened. I'm trying to provide a little thing beyond the box score. Okay, who's playing well? Who's not? Again, I'm not going to ever slam a young man. These guys, I know there's, I, I don't know, I don't think there's a lot of NIL money, unfortunately, flowing into Seton Hall these days. So they're not getting uh getting paid a fortune that's for sure i mean they're getting scholarships and everything they're on scholarship but i mean just to see i mean who's hot who's not what what can we expect what's what's going on behind the scenes uh who's hot who's cold and what are the trends i mean i kind of weighed in in the last one the job i think uh, kevin willard has done this year and i mean for instance i mean like it's no secret i mean jerry carino is a close friend of mine. We've known each other for almost 20 years. And I know he wrote a big piece that kind of got on pirate crew. It got, it got some yays and nays about saying he believes this is the best job Kevin Willard has done as a coach. And I'll tell you, I'll answer that right now. My thing was a little bit, I, I agree to a point, but to me, let's face it, the final exam hasn't happened yet. Whether, whether we like it or not, Chris, you're judged nowadays as a college basketball coach, what you do this month. And let's face it. I mean, whether we like it or not, Willard has not done great in the tournament and we're going to see what he does. Let's face it, although he's positioned them to be in a better seat than they were a few weeks ago. And, but that's to me what it comes down to. But yes, he has done a great job. I think of steering them through some rough patches. I mean, let's face it. None of us knew what was going to happen when Bryce Aiken went down. And like, and another thing I said, and I know Jerry has said this too, but Anyone looking at Jameer Harris since he had to take on the backup point guard role and play so much against Creighton, if you just look at the stats, you're missing the point. You really have to watch the games to know what he's done. I completely agree. I know we're going to dive into a lot about what Kadari has done, but also Jameer Harris, because I think he goes unnoticed on the stat sheet, like you said. And I think that's important because it's really transcended this entire season, especially for guys like Jared Roden, who I thought struggled at, at points in this season to really be the guy that they expected. But he really delivered when Kadari kind of took over that mantle in a row. But you touched upon it a little bit about Pirate Crew with the fans and the, the yays and the nays that people have. It seems like you have a really unique and good relationship with the fan base. When you talk about Seton Hall Pirate fans, what's that, uh, what's that kind of like to you? How do you describe a Pirate fan to someone? I think it's interesting is that I, I, I like them a lot. I mean, they, they are who they are. I mean, I think, I think they have high expectations. I mean, and I don't blame them, but I think they have to understand that uh, I think a lot of them are realistic. I mean, Kevin Willard took over a, a program that was not in good shape. Yes. Did, was he left some good players? Sure. 
But the, the reputation of the program, like it or not, it was not in a good place. I mean, you had you had uh, uh, Herb Pope obviously punching someone in the genitalia twice in a game, the last game of Bobby Gonzalez's uh, career. And then you had two guys who I was actually, I wouldn't say close to, but I mean, they were go-to guys for me uh, in the interviews. I mean, both of them, I got along with them very well. Sticks Mitchell and Kelly Whitney being arrested and later convicted of armed robbery. I mean, I think they both turned their lives around since then, and that's good. But, but I mean, let's face it, those aren't great things to be walking into a program when those things have just happened. I mean, it was kind of scorched earth, like it or not. So Kevin Willard had to really clean up the program's image first and then go on from there. And that takes time. I don't think people understand that, that when a brand has been damaged, the Senal brand had been damaged, like it or not, by what went on under Gonzo. And Kevin Willard had to kind of clean up that mess first and then go on to establishing this as a perennial NCAA team, which other than last year's hiccup, let's face it, that's what it's become. I think that's fair because uh, for me personally, I, I was a freshman at WSOU during Bobby G's last year, and I was on Hall Line for that game with her Pope that you mentioned. And the biggest thing to me is it's a, it's a, this was an ultimate rebranding. I mean, the program couldn't have been possibly any lower than it actually was. And what actually has progressed since has been successful in the eyes of, you know, putting out a quality product. But like you mentioned, the key here for this season is still – it's unwritten yet. You need to see what this team does in the NCAA tournament. That's key. And one thing that is always special, in my opinion, JP, is senior day uh, for the coaches, for the fans, the players, uh, but everyone just around the, getting around the guys that are going to be leaving the program. And when you look at the six players who were honored, in your mind, covering the team, what have they meant collectively to this program? Well, they've meant a lot. I mean, you look at Jared Rowan. I mean, this is a guy, again, I mean, I think the key to Kevin Willard and I didn't touch on this before. I'm glad you brought that up. Is that player development is that Kevin Willard, he he's not going to get other than saying Isaiah Whitehead, and obviously he had the end with 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 Tiny uh to get him in there, but he's not going to get a ton of four and five stars. He's going to get three stars or three and a half stars, if you will, maybe the occasional four star. But he's going to coach them up, he's going to make players better. Or you're going to get Grant Billmeyer taking somebody like Romaro Gill and making him into not only a great shot blocker, but a competent uh, scorer on the pick and roll. And the whole key with Seton Hall is player development. Jared Rowan's been the epitome of that, is that, don't get me wrong, he was a good player as a freshman and sophomore, but you could see where the development was going to come. Look at Mamu. I mean, look at Sandro uh, Mamu Kelishvili. I mean, the guy's now on a two-way contract with the Bucks, and he's played some with a big club this year. Look at how he kept improving during his career. And then you look at, look at Miles Kale. I mean, let's face it, he's become Mr. Pirate. I mean, again, this was, as he even said, said it himself on senior night, uh, he was a kid from Delaware who, who really didn't know how to play the game right until Ke- Kevin showed him how, Kevin and the staff showed him how. I mean, it just so much... They spend so much time drilling these guys and drilling them and drilling them. And I just think that this is a program they're, they're not going to have, other than Whitehead, even two and duns. It just doesn't happen. So it's it's a process where they get guys. And then the flip side is when you have the Alexis Yetnas and the Jameer Harris's is to get the right fit 
with the transfer portal. Get guys that are going to come in and sacrifice and, and be part of a whole, be part of something greater than them. Not come in and want to be like, okay, I'm going to come in here and dominate. I want to, I want to showcase myself. No, you're going to come in to Seton Hall and you're going to be part of a group and you're going to be part of a winning place, a winning culture. And, and that's the biggest thing, I think, Chris, is that there was no culture when, when Kevin Willard got there. There's a culture now. You, you alluded to Isaiah Whitehead a lot. Obviously, him and that, that senior class just ultimately transcended the entire, the entire school in terms of being able to bring credibility back to the program. Recently, Coach Willard compared Kadari Richmond to Isaiah Whitehead. It's, and that's a lot of high praise for sure. Uh, when you look at Kadari and what he's done, especially, I guess, in the last month of the season, do you see some of Whitehead in him and in his abilities? A little bit, a little bit. I mean, I just don't I, – I, I need to improve as a passer, Chris. I don't see the passing ability. I mean, I think he handles better than Whitehead. But the thing, even though Whitehead was not – or Zeke, as Willard always called him, I guess because of the Z. He called, called him Zeke. But he was not the greatest dribbler, but, wow, he was an, a, a spot-on passer. And I don't see that yet. That's been kind of the, the one thing I think missing from his game, but he can throw the dime once in a while. But I think the one, the one positive, and again, you always try to take, uh, what is it? The, what is the cliche? You take lemons and make lemonade is that with, with Bryce Aiken going down, I think we've seen both Richmond and to a, 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 an extent, uh, Jared Roden really, have more room to do what they do. I mean, as good as Aiken is, he had to have so much room to do what he does. It kind of sometimes, and I'm not saying he was a ball hog, he wasn't, but it kind of crowded out other people because he had to operate with the ball in his hands. Now with Richmond having the ball in his hands, there's more room for Rome to do his ISO. There's more room for Richmond to create. And we're seeing a lot of other things. And I'll also, one thing point I want to make before I forget with Harris is, and again, this doesn't show up in the box score, but one thing he had in American that he was having trouble doing, Chris, at Seton Hall was he could step back and hit a three, and he'd become exclusively a catch-and-shoot guy at Seton Hall. Now with handling the, having to handle the ball and start the offense so much more, he's rediscovered that part of his game. You see him now, he'll be dribbling, and all of a sudden he'll just step back and drain a three, and that's come back to the floor with him. So again, sometimes, again, a bad thing happens, but good things can come out of it. The game we're alluding to was the game against Georgetown where the Pirates were playing on senior day. And that was really them just looking for their first conference win. they ended up going 0 and 19. But despite that, the Pirates were able to prevail 70 to three to 68 led by Kadari Richmond and Jared Roden. Like you said, how critical was it for them to not only just win that game, but then going into the next game, JP versus Creighton. Cause to be honest with you, I did not think that they were going to win that game. I thought the Pirates were, in a way, due for a loss. Creighton's good at home. Uh, you know, I thought it would be a close game, but ultimately I thought they would fall. But it didn't happen. And on top of that, Kadari Richmond goes down with apparently re-injuring a, a finger, and he's out of the game. And luckily it seems like his injury was not severe. But again, it shows to the point about what you mentioned about Jameer Harris. This team has really been able to step up. And I thought that was one of their most grittiest performances to end the season. It's a great way to put it, Chris. Gritty really sums it up. And uh, I was surprised, too. I thought going into that game, I just thought off the emotion of senior night. And then just to look at those guys, just how drained they seemed. And and Creighton sometimes has been a house of horrors 
for this team. I mean, I mean, we'll never know what would have happened in 2020, but I mean, that was one of the best teams. I mean, definitely the, the best team Kevin Willard's ever had. And they got, unfortunately, the last game they ever played that year, they got drubbed at Creighton on senior night. Now, granted, Creighton is mostly a young team and they don't have a ton of seniors. And so maybe it wasn't as emotional for them. But I mean, Creighton was up 11 in that first half. And all of a sudden, Seton Hall comes back out of nowhere. And obviously, Harris did a great job filling in. And Miles Kale, I mean, his defense on Alex O'Connell was superb. As And Kevin pointed that out in the post game on the radio. I mean, Alex O'Connell goes one for 11, one for seven from three. Kale was just basically in his socks all night. I mean, all day. I mean, just, yeah. I mean, they're able to grind it out when you don't expect it sometimes. There, there are cases where it's funny. That's the weird thing about them. There's times where you think they're at home and they're playing a lesser opponent. Wow, they should just maul this team. They should just romp. And they don't. And then there are these situations on the road. Wow, this could be a letdown. And nope, they, they, play, they play really well and surprising. So it's sometimes hard to figure this team out, but, but they do have a grit. And I know it's cliched, but when you hear these players say, we really care about each other, they clearly do. And, and I think you see that togetherness on the court. Yeah, I agree with that. I think this team has really found its groove in terms of who they are as an identity. Uh, and, you know, you know, unfortunately it comes at Aiken's expense because this team really clicked after his injury. Um, I, but I, I do look at the last game and I thought Kale's defense summed up his entire career. He, his defense was lights out. I played full 40 minutes at Creighton. And I think just, you know, the Pirates have gotten lucky. Kadari Richmond, this team needs Kadari Richmond in the Big East tournament and beyond, and they seem to have dodged a bullet with his injury. Have you heard anything otherwise that suggests that he might not be available for the game Wednesday? Not that I know of, but I'll tell you, it wouldn't, I wouldn't be opposed to it if they did decide to uh, limit him or, or otherwise maybe shut him down a little this week. Because to me, I'll be honest with you, I don't know how much, unless you win the tournament, I've seen over the years – I don't know how much the committee really looks at some of these tournaments uh, unless you make a great run, unless, unless they win the whole thing. I mean, I would say unless they, they, they mess up and lose to Georgetown somehow on Wednesday, I, I would think they look like they may have gotten to the seven line. That's what a lot of people seem to think, but again, you don't want to take chances, but I don't know how much getting to the semis, if they could beat Georgetown. And, but I mean, let's face it. I mean, then, if you win that game, I mean, I mean, I don't know how great a matchup UConn is because, let's face it, I mean, it's just always tough. I know you asked about the Pyre fans before. It is so tough having to see Adama Sinogo on the other side and you just always have to think about what might have been. I mean, that's just uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 the always the, the, the what if. Uh, and, and <laughs> although it's funny, that's seen all kind of created that because uh, if they hadn't been, uh, Creighton, Creighton would have been the three seed, but, uh, but, but again, but Hey, they did beat him once at the rock and, and Richmond had the winning basket, although Aiken was big that day too. But I mean, anything can happen at the garden, although you, you know, UConn, their fans, especially after last year, not having fans there, you know, UConn is going to pack that place. The, oh, the, it's Husky is just going to be uh, out of their minds to be back at the garden after being uh, back from the, the the desert island. That's the American. I mean, they're they're going to be so happy to be back at the garden. You know that. My personal opinion, I think 
UConn is going to win. I, I just, I, I just think that this is going to be their coronation back in the Big East. I think they're well coached. They have a lot of talent. It's a short enough stretch where they can come in hot. I, I think there's better teams in the conference than them. But I just, I have a weird feeling about what UConn's going to do in this tournament. I, I just think that they're, they have a lot of potential. I mean, they have a lot of talent. Sonogo, it kills me seeing him in a UConn jersey as a uh, Pirate supporter because I just know the backstory of what led to that. Uh, but I, I, but I want to, I want to touch on the Garden because it is special, and this is the fortieth year of the Big East tournament. And when you think about everything that has gone on in this tournament, what has been your just your personal favorite moment that you've been able to experience in person over the years with the Big East? It definitely was the the Whitehead basket. I mean, just to see how much that meant to to uh, to Willard and the Pirates, and just it was unfortunate that I still feel they got a raw deal. And I don't usually say that. I, I don't consider myself a homer. I don't consider myself somebody who who looks at it from a Seton Hall lens. I mean, I'm not. Uh, I just don't think I do that. But I just felt like they deserved a better shake. Uh, I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not one of those people that thought they should have landed in, uh, um, um, Brooklyn, but, uh, if I'm not mistaken, there was a, uh, a, a pod in Hartford that year. I thought they could have landed there. Um, but to get sent to Denver and play an underseated Gonzaga team, I didn't think that was right, but, but it's unfortunate that that kind of wiped out the, that moment, but still to me, you can never take that away and just, the the happiness of everyone just that night. I mean, I, I just remember I, I, everyone was just so ecstatic, Chris. It just, that, that, again, that's the moment for me. I mean, uh, of just all time with Seton Hall because uh, in, in the garden, anyway, in the biggest tournament, because I just felt like a weight was off their shoulders. It's been so many, I mean, it's been 23 years since they won the thing. I mean, and I think a lot of people didn't even show up that weekend because there was some major, there was a major winter storm in the area. It's like a nor'easter, as they call it. Like, yeah, I, I think um, that, I think that, I, I think that's a good point, JP. I think it was, it was a culmination of everything that had led from when Coach Willard started to then. I think that sophomore class then at the time just had all the pressure in the world after what happened their freshman year to just find a way to, lift this program up they had the they they knew coming in that they their job was to put scene hall on the map and i think it, it was it was incredible it really was but you know you got to still focus on this year and what's currently at stake and when i look at this entire season as a whole jp it's such a weird season for the pirates you you start off the season with mixed expectations then you go to michigan and win a huge game on the road you come home and you beat Texas at home and Rutgers at home, who at the time Rutgers wasn't playing great, but they turned their season around in a lot of ways. And then there's COVID freezes. Ike Obiagu gets injured. Bryce Aiken goes down. The team is in a January swoon, as Jerry Carino always says. And they turned it all around. What has actually impressed you the most about this team or even maybe surprised you at this point? Well, I'll answer that in a second, but I have to say it's kind of funny that uh, I don't know if you saw this, but I can't think of the name of it, but I know there's uh and I got to give them credit because I mean, everyone sees it, but there was some, some similar like Villanova podcast where they said like, there was that the, every scene all season is like, uh, uh, in November, we're good. Uh, December, see, told you we're good. Uh, January swoon, February, the, the Renaissance, uh, March here, we're going to surprise somebody. And, and every year it's like, 
Now, granted, last year was the February swoon. And then 2020, they actually had a great uh, January. But it just seems it's always the, like, but like you said, this year was a little different script because COVID was something, I mean, hope, hopefully, please, next year, there won't be anything like that. I hope there are no more variants or whatever, what have you. But, but yeah, that was a real monkey wrench. And Kevin, you know, he stuck to his guns. He kept saying that they basically gifted the Big East two victories. And I, it's hard to deny that. I mean, I mean, to go, have to play Providence and Villanova, who obviously eventually finished one, two, and we can argue till the cows come home. Now, I don't know where the cows go, I've always said. But, uh, but you know, you play the two best teams in the conference with basically seven players. That's kind of really rough. So, and I don't blame Kevin for keep, to keep saying that, that they basically uh, started off 0-2 uh, through no fault of their own. I mean, I would like to have replayed those two games and see what they have if, if they have Obiagu and and Samuel, let's see how, how those games uh, shake out. But, but yeah, I mean, I, I think what impressed me the most is that, again, like we talked about, the grit. They stayed the course, and as, as, as I've written and as Carino has written, he, he had to reinvent this team more than once. He, he had to reinvent them after the COVID pause. Willard had to reinvent them after Aiken went down. Uh, he, I mean, I'm not going to lie. Once in a while, I'd like to see a little less ISO. I know that's what he's built on because to me, I think, I don't think they have as many great ISO players as they've had sometimes. But Roan lately with the mid-range, he's gotten the mid-range game back. It was interesting. I watched, I watched Creighton's presser after the game last week and McDermott said that, he was saying it's true, he's saying that the problem is with defending Roan is that the mid-range is the worst shot in the house, but Roan just happens to be really good at it. And I get the feeling that it's hard to defend because nobody else does that. So most teams probably don't have anybody who shoots it, so you're not going to see it in practice. And then Roan just is the only guy shooting those 14, 16-foot jumpers. And But but I do agree. I, I don't doubt what Willard has said, that he had to throw it like – he had to scrap half his offense when – when Harris is in the game, but I will say this. And again, I'm not the only one that's noticed this, but you, you notice, Chris, I apologize if I'm rambling, but when, when Harris is in the game, and I think this is the one thing, again, I want to see Richmond get better at going forward. When Harris is in the game, there's more ball movement. The ball gets in the air more. There's less dribbling. I don't know if he's not as confident in himself as a dribbler or what, but there's less dribbling. The ball gets moved around more. I think that's totally fair. And I think you mentioned it about Coach Willard. You know, there's been a lot of adjustments this year for this program. And I think um, for both on and off the court. And I think when you look at the program as a whole, I mean, they are in their sixth 20th win season in the past seven years. Uh, it, it's, people ask, is it, is it Coach Willard's most impressive season? Right now, I'm, I'm in line with you. you. It's too early to tell. Having said that, in terms of the adversity he's faced and, and where this team is going into the Big East tournament, you can't help but feel that this is the type of momentum that they finally have needed going into a early March swoon. But I, I really go back to this team, JP, and look at their mental toughness because they've won five straight, eight of the last 10. Aiken's been out. Long's been out. Weston's been out. Richmond just got hurt. It goes to your guy that, that you've been talking about now. Jameer Harris has to step it up. This team has played with nearly none of their point guards. It, it, for a, a substantial amount of time, and they have still found ways to mentally grind it out game after game. 
The only thing I could compare it to, again, if we're comparing seasons, and again, and again, that team obviously had a lot of grit and mental toughness. Now, they had more talent top to bottom, I think, was that senior team. Again, you talk about the, when they were sophomores in 2015-16, the, the Delgado, Rodriguez, Carrington, et cetera, team, and, and Seton Hall's on Sonogo. But uh, what I think, if you remember with that team, obviously, the university they had was when Desi – Speaking of Providence, goes down with a sprained ankle because of the condensation. That turned into actually a blessing in disguise, for lack of a better cliche, because there was a little problem that he and, and Kadeen were having trouble sharing the ball. And then all of a sudden, he goes out and Dino starts exploding. But then when he came back, they were able to figure it out. So again, that's again, Willard adjusting. He, whatever people think about Kevin Willard, he is adept at figuring things out on the fly. And that is a big part of coaching is you, you don't have in real time, you have to figure these things out. You can't wait till the off season because it's too late. I know that sounds silly, but it's the truth. You, you can't wait. You have to figure these things out. And some coaches never do. And like you said, I mean, but it helps when you have players that are willing to buy in and be gritty and be tough and, he knows the kind of players he wants, I think. That's the thing is you don't see a lot of – it's been a long time since we've seen the likes of – I don't mean to to slag on a guy, but it's the only name I can come up with. Uh, and I had a good relationship with him, but then it went sour. But uh, you don't see a lot of Brian Olivers anymore. I think, I think Willard has figured out the kind of guy he wants to take and the kind of guy he doesn't want to take. And he's really brought in good characters, I think, that want to sacrifice for the team and they're not me first guys. I mean, I'll never forget. I mean, the problem he had with Brian Oliver, this is a classic one, Chris, that your, your listeners might really enjoy, was evidently like uh, Oliver, he, he told them, uh, he told us in a post game that Oliver was complaining that he couldn't practice because his knee was acting up but he wanted to play in the games. And he said, uh, he said, I've never heard of a condition like that. He said, he said he was going to call the new England journal of medicine and see if he could get that. I was there for that. I was there covering for WSU. I was on the call that game. I, I yeah. vividly remember that conversation. Yeah. From Coach and I, I remember saying to myself, this is not a Kevin Willard kind of guy. Is that he rarely, I mean, it's been years since he was calling out guys like that. He, he yeah. was doing, a lot in the early years, but think about that, Chris. He doesn't call out guys like that anymore. No, I mean, if anything, he overly protects the players now. Yeah, he, I mean, he called out Freddie Wilson like that once for something stupid. But uh, I won't repeat the word, but uh, but uh, uh, it has to do with rear end. But, uh, but he doesn't do that anymore because he's getting now the guys. He's figured out, I think, in the process, okay, he figures out, okay, whether it's a transfer or recruit, this is the kind of guy I want, or this is not the kind of guy I want. And that comes through running your own program. Let's talk about some of those guys. Jameer Harris, Alexis Yetna, and Tyree Samuel all came off the bench versus Creighton. All with 11 points or more, with Yetna posting a double-double with 11 rebounds. Despite all this adversity, the injuries, the COVID pauses, you talk about character, guys. This bench this year has really kept the Pirates at bay. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll tell you, Yetna, I mean... My only knock on him is, I think, and again, I can understand nobody wants to give him the red light. I mean, sometimes he shoots too many threes, but let's face it, the one three he shoots 
Saturday with, with a hand in his face, goes in and gives him the lead, puts them ahead to stay. But I mean, Yetna has proven to be just what they needed. I mean, he's got that, that good face up game and he does, he does hit the boards. Um, again, Harris, we've, we've certainly waxed poetic about him and Samuel, he, he, he could stand to be a little bit more consistent, but he, I mean, the, the performance he had the other day was really terrific off the bench and he really, he hits the boards hard. And again, I can't, yeah, I should have meant what I just said, Chris. I do think, and I, I, I know Willard protects his guys, but I don't think it's totally an excuse. Certainly, he was hurt by the fact that when the when the COVID hit him, he was he was back in Canada, so he didn't have access to, to the weight training and the nutrition stuff. I mean, that's got to hurt when you're marooned in Canada, basically, and, and you're not at least where they can monitor you. So I, I think that really set him back because he really looked good early in the season. And then he took a step backward because he just wasn't where they could work with him. Yeah. I, I think Samuel is poised right now for next season to have a great senior campaign. I just, I just think he's got the size, he's got the speed and the agility and, and he's got a good head on his shoulders. Um, he clearly seems like someone who does, isn't a disciplinary problem. So I, I, I hope to see great things from him next year. Uh, from the conversation I had last week with John Fanta, Alexis Yetna has two years of eligibility left. And in my opinion, he's come into this season. I, I forget that he's not a Big East player already. I mean, he has really just looked really well overall and fitting into that overall mode. And I agree with you on the three-point shooting, but you can live with that a little bit. Um, but I talk, you talk about the two big guys on this team, Jared Roden and Miles Kale. Roden just got named to the All-Big East first team. He's the sixth pirate in seven seasons to be named to that selection. And Miles Kale set the record for most Big East games by an all, a player all time. So you talk about Mr. Seton Hall and a guy that's now continuing this legacy. The season's not over yet. What can they do to really solidify their place in Seton Hall history? Is it a second weekend in the NCAA tournament? I, I, th- I think so, Chris. But again, but at least I think at least one win. I mean, uh, unfortunately, it's, it's just I don't make the rules, but the rules are now you're, you're judged by what you do this month. I mean, it's, it, is it fair? No, but that's just the way it, 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 it works now. It's unfortunately come down to that. And a lot of it depends on matchups. I mean, they, they need to find a team that they can kind of uh, use their length against, use their uh, quickness against. They can't be against a team that's going to really pound them on the, on the glass. Again, it's really going to depend on, on who they I mean, I think they certainly have enough to to get to a first-round matchup, but to get to that second weekend, I, they're going to need to to, to come up with a, a good second-round matchup, and it would really help to get off that 8-9 line. When you talk about this current Big East tournament, JP, it's the Pirates come in as a sixth seed. They face Georgetown, the 11th seed, in the first round on Wednesday, who'll be seeking their first win in Big East schedule, fighting for their coach. Really nothing to lose at this point. They, they were defending champs. They have nothing to play for other than just pride. Uh, the winner will face UConn, the three seed, on Thursday night, or uh, someone else on the other side, which is coming in. It'll, excuse me, they will be facing UConn regardless. And then you look at really... The semifinals, a winner would either play a number two Villanova or either number seven St. John's or DePaul, who's number 10. And then on the other side, you have Providence, Creighton, Marquette, Xavier, and Butler that are fighting for that chance in the final that would face someone from our side of the bracket. But JP, 
I can easily see right now five different teams cutting down the net on Saturday night. I, I, I don't think there's a clear-cut favorite right now. I think this conference is very well divided right now in terms of strength overall versus matchups with each other. Yeah, but like you said, I, I, I think uh, – I mean, I would think it's probably – I mean, thing is they, they could probably meet – they'd probably have to meet in the semis because they're in the same side of the bracket. But, I mean, I, I do think it'd probably be the uconn Villanova winner. That would be my guess if Casino Hall can't break through. But, uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I, I mean, I think we can talk about how they kind of uh, gamed their way to the regular season title. But, I mean, I do think Providence is a solid team, and, I mean – it might not be easy for if they play Villanova for Villanova to beat them three times in a year. And Providence is a bet. Providence is certainly uh, the, the whole is better than the sum of the parts. There's no question in my mind about that. Uh, but I don't know. Looking at Creighton, I, I can't see Creighton making a run. Watched them the other day. They they've just and listen, McDermott, Greg McDermott did a great job getting them as far as he's gotten them, but they just. They don't hit enough threes. They really have need threes to fall, or else they're. I mean, he's one of those guys who said, "Well, they, they were great, good shots. Nothing wrong. Some of them were well contested. Some of them were open. But if you're going to shoot a lot of threes, you better make them. And they they're not. They don't make enough. And they really that's their whole offense. And this is one of those years they didn't make a lot of threes. Usually they do. Usually they're up in the upper echelon. They don't make a ton of threes. Villanova, obviously. I mean, I mean Jay Wright's Jay Wright. He needs no introduction, but. They do have these droughts, Chris, where they don't score. I mean, so I don't know if that's going to hurt them. Again, I, I still think – I mean, it is open. I mean, I could see about three or four teams winning it, but I don't know. I do think UConn could be on a mission because they really feel like they uh, squandered last March, uh, losing losing in the, the semis and then uh, losing the, the first-round NCAA game. I believe it was to Maryland. They, they really – made that their mission to have a better march. And uh, even though it sometimes can be a negative to win the Big East tournament because it saps your energy, I, I could see UConn kind of yelling nets. For me, the one team I think, JP, that could surprise people is Marquette. I think they're talented enough to do so. I think they've had a good second half of their season overall. Um, just from seeing them play against Seen Hall twice, they're a matchup nightmare for the Pirates, in my opinion. Is there a team that you think can really kind of shock fans that are going to be heading to MSU, or do you think it's really going to come from one of these top teams in the conference? I think it's going to be one of the top teams. I just don't think anyone from the from the, the lower echelon is. I mean, is I don't think. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I just can't see anybody. I mean, no, I just don't see the uh, unless. I mean, could St. John's get on a run? I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, St. John's, you never know. They could, I mean, they have two of the most talented players in the conference, but it seems they can never get them both playing well at the same time, uh, Champagny and uh, Posh. So we'll see. But uh, it, it's hard for me to see somebody not in the top four or five winning it. Again, Cena Hall could do it, but but again, it makes it so tough. That's why it was, would have been so nice for if, if St. John's could have upset Marquette. It's tough to win four games in four days. It changes the whole especially, dynamic there. Especially now that they don't have the – I mean, think about it. They, everyone was saying how in November they had all this depth, and now they don't have all this depth. Makes a big difference. Uh, to that point, from, your, from what it sounds like, 
this conference is top heavy. There's depth within the conference, but it's a top heavy conference. Do you think the Big East as a whole is poised to have a deep NCAA tournament run in your opinion, or is this team beating, are they beating each up up too much? It's hard to say. I I don't know. I, I, I was impressed with the Big East, but I don't know. Watching them the last couple of weeks, I don't know. That's, it's always so hard to say. It comes down to matchups. It's really, I got to admit, I wish I could give you an answer on that, but it really comes down to the matchups. Um, I don't know. I think, like I said, I think UConn has a chip on their shoulder. I wonder if Providence's luck is going to go out, run out. And again, I would never bet against Jay and Villanova in the tournament. It's just, you do that at your own risk. But like I said, I do not like Creighton. I just think, I just think they're two, three point dependent and that's, that's dangerous in the tournament. I I don't typically dive too deep into the bracketologist just because they change so frequently. And it's a lot of, projections at that point and the latest reviews though are saying that the pirates have gotten out of that eight nine matchup and into the seven c which you alluded to earlier uh in your opinion does a win over georgetown is that enough to really kind of lock in a seven seed or, or is it still like kind of like it's a crapshoot i don't think it moves the needle so and again i don't know how much they pay attention to these tournaments so i think they'd have to beat somebody i mean maybe a win over uconn would do it that's fair. Don't yeah, that's fair. It, it's it, it, this. It comes down to this week. And, you know, JP, one thing I do always talk about on the show is the women's team. And just overall, I think the women's program has just been in the same type of situation this year as the men's with the different adversities. They came in with high expectations. They got crushed and they met, they went on a strong run at the end of the year. Uh, you know, they, they won two games in the Big East tournament. They fell to Villanova, but they had two all Big East first team selections in Lauren Park Lane and Sydney Cooks and a second team all Big East selection in Andre Spinoza Hunter. Just as a whole, from just being a part of the Scene Hall community and, and what you see, how impressed are you with Coach Bazella and what he's been able to build at a program? Because you talk about a program that really has stepped up its consistency level under a, a, under a new coach as well, not only just Kevin Willard, but also Coach Bazella. Well, I think Tony Bazella has done a terrific job with women. He's really solidified the program, made it a program that you always have to take seriously. I mean, I think he's done a very good job. I think he's recruited at a high level and he's realized that you really have to, that's another, I mean, really in women's basketball, you really have to uh, hit the transfer portal very hard. And that's what he's done. I think uh, I can't find any fault with the job he's done, especially with what he's done. I I mean, he had a really tough bout with COVID. So uh, I I can't find any fault with the job he's doing over there. I mean, you would, it would be, I mean, you, you hope for his sake would be that they do. I mean, they've come so close that they do get over the hump at some point. As we get set close, uh, get set to close here. Just a couple of personal questions for you. Want to know? You know, you've traveled all over for games. Do you have a favorite ar- arena that you get to chance to attend and uh, games at? And is there a place that you've yet to go to that you would hope to get to at some point in your career? Uh. Favorite arena. That's that's a good one. Uh, I'll be honest. With you, I didn't like. I once went when Seton Hall was drubbed by Duke, and I didn't like Cameron Indoor as much as people like. Really, it. really. Yeah, well, just because they it's just too. It, they put you too close to the to the fans. I mean, you just really can't. There's just no room. It's just. I mean, maybe people say it's a good atmosphere, but you, you also need to have room to work. I don't know. I mean, this was again. This was two thousand. Uh, Five, so that's a long time ago. I don't even know where they would put you nowadays. I mean, I'm saying pre-COVID. I don't know where they would put you in 2019. Um, I'm trying to think. Uh, well, you know what? I got to say, I have to go with the old standby. This was where 
it was uh, in 2003 their first uh, tournament since PJ uh, year since PJ. I mean, got to go with the old standby. I mean, I once went. They, they played LaSalle in the Palestra, and that was that was awesome. Just the history in that building, and I couldn't. I'd love to go back there. That was it was awesome to be in the Palestra and. Uh, I, I couldn't. That uh, was it. Was just as a basketball fan, that was just to think of all the things that had happened in that building. I couldn't believe that. It was just like I said. It was really nice, Chris. And I, I, I don't know if it's so much the venue, but I really, again, speaking of that era, I wish they had had the play-in games in 0203 because I think Seton Hall would have been in it in 03. I'd love to uh, someday cover cover a playing game in Dayton. I'd love to see what that's like. I, I, it seems like a great atmosphere. Uh, I've, never, I've never been to the Dayton, University of Dayton Arena. I'd love to see what that's like. As far as, I guess, uh, I'm trying to think. I mean, I've been to the Cary Dome. That's, eh, it wasn't, it was, wasn't uh, great. I'm trying to think. Uh, uh, that's a great question. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, so, it's so unfortunate. So many of them are gone now. So many of the great venues are are gone. Uh, and a lot of these new ones, I hate to say, they're kind of cookie cutter. They're not, they're not, you know what I mean? They're not the same as the, the old ones, but uh, yeah, I wish I could come up with a better answer for you, but I can't. No, I that's fair. I mean, you, you've, you've been to a lot of great arenas. Uh, and the thing is you've been to a lot of opportunities to be at arenas that people can't go to anymore, which is just. Incredible. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to, th- yeah. I mean, uh, but yeah, I, I, uh, I like to, I like the arena. I like the Pitts Arena, the Pete. I like that one. That was a good one. I got a curveball for you, JP. So I know this is a pirate show for Scene Hall, but I would like to call myself a sad and depressed Jets season ticket holder. Uh, so I need to know from your perspective, who should the Jets be drafting in the first round? And, and I know where it's college basketball season here. I, I would draft a pass rusher, but I mean, they need to stick to the value on their board, but I would draft a pass rusher if they can get one. I mean, I think, uh, as they said last week at the Combine, they can help Zach Wilson by getting a better defense so that he's not always behind 10 nothing. That would help. It would help to not always be trailing in games. And don't get me wrong, they still need to, to – but everyone who keeps saying they need to draft more offensive linemen, part of the problem was he held on to the ball too long. So I do think they haven't had a good pass rusher since John Abraham. So that's that, – he hasn't played for the – he last played for the Jets in 2005, and he's long since out of the league, so that's a long time. Certainly but, has been. And I, I'm not sure. No one knows how Carl Lawson's going to be coming off a, a torn Achilles, so I think they need to draft a, a, pass, a bona fide pass rusher. And finally, I know you're a busy man, and this is one of the busiest times of year for college basketball. Any upcoming articles or coverage that you're excited about that you're able to share? Uh, no, but I mean, I'll, you can look for – I'll be obviously doing a lot of – uh, free agency coverage and previewing just free agencies. You can look for that on Forbes.com. Thank you. Uh, and uh, yeah, and then I can't, like I said, I can't wait to see where the, uh, how this shakes out for the Pirates. I, I mean, I think, again, I think they could, they could make a run in the second weekend, but I think, again, they need, they need, uh, for once, they need the uh, selection committee to, sh- to, to do them uh, a solid, which hasn't always been the case. 
Well, it's officially March. It's time for the Big East Tournament. Selection Sunday is within reach for all these teams around the country. J.P. Pelsman, thank you so much for taking time out of your schedule to join us on this episode of Courtside Pirates. You can follow J.P. on Twitter at J.P. Pelsman. I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did and look forward to having you gone again in the future. Thanks so much, Chris. I really enjoyed it. This brings us to our closing segment, Courtside Perspective. Special thanks again to J.P. Pelsman, who took the time out of his schedule to come on this episode and preview the men's Big East tournament. And be sure to follow me on Twitter at Pazes for updates throughout the season. Depending how the Scene Hall Pirates do in the Big East Tournament and, of course, the NCAA Tournament, I will return following a two-week hiatus as I will be traveling on vacation with my fiancé. However, as you know full well, I'll be watching every second of all the action as it unfolds. Again, my name is Chris Pazes. Thank you for listening. We will see you next time on Courtside Pirates. <laughs>